So there are many things that I've learned through these many years that I've lived. And one of them, I will start off by sharing this analogy. So there was this, um, this Bible translator who wrote a paper on flying airplanes, flying the airplane. So he wrote this paper, and what he, he um, said in this paper, he was explaining what his teacher taught him as a pilot, as a new pilot in training. So if the teacher said that if an emergency comes up, there are certain things, there are certain steps that you have to take concerning the throttle, concerning the flaps, concerning the engine, and all these different things. But the teacher said, in between everything, the throttle, the engine, I need you, all the steps, I need you to put fly the plane. And in this paper, he went on to explain that there was a commercial jet that the landing gear wouldn't go down. And the whole crew is just trying to figure out how we're going to get this landing gear down. And they crashed into the swamps of Florida because they forgot to fly the plane. So sometimes in our life, we forget to live. We are more concerned with what happened in our past. Like the analogy of the plane, right? The landing gear is messed up. We got to figure out what to do. Oh my goodness, we are about to die. You're thinking so much about your future. You're still working on your past and you are forgetting to live. So one of the things I've learned over these years is don't forget to live. Amen? Amen? I looked on um, the internet and I got this thing that is really, really very interesting. I know Pastor Rich, um, I get a lot from Pastor Rich preaching. I got to start paying you some royalties. But um, <laughs> there's this thing on the internet. And before I do that, I would love to share this verse with you. Uh, James 4.14. Don't forget to live. The Bible says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We are only here for a short time. When we go to funerals, that's when we realize, oh my goodness, this person is gone? This happened so fast. They were just here yesterday. Our life is just a mist. Well, I want to share with you a few things might, that might make you solidify that in your head. They said that the average person, uh, this was a couple years back, the, the numbers have changed a little bit, can live the life expectancy at 79.5 years. I think they did it, and now we just dropped to about 76 years. So I don't know what's going on, but we're, we're, we're going down. But we're going to use this for an example. If you live up to 80 years, the average person, you have 954 months left. 954 months to live. If you sleep, if you like to sleep like I do, the average person having six to eight uh, hours a week, that's spending 318 months of sleeping. So you got 636. 636 months left to live. Are you liking that? For those who had an education, 
right? Let's say, let's give you 15 years of education. We know it's a little bit more than that. That's 43 months you spent being educated. And if you went for your master's and your doctorate, it's much more. That leaves you up to 593 months left to live. For you who are working eight hours a day, in your lifetime, you're spending 128 months of working. That leaves you at 465 months to live. Are you getting nervous now? No? All right. Well, you probably wouldn't think about it, but the average person uses the toilet maybe 20 minutes. That's a long time. Not 20 minutes, because if you take your phone, you're in there for a long time. But let's give you 20 minutes. 13 months and one week you spent on the loo. How about eating? So that means you're down to 451 months. Now we got to eat. And everyone who gave me presents with the snacks, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to eat it. I really can. Like my wings, the chocolate, the sweets. It's so, I love it. Thank you guys. But if you have five meals per day, which I have more than five meals per day, you spend six years of your life eating. So you have 379 months, three weeks left to live. We spend five years waiting in lines. That's why online shopping is the thing now, right? We add up those months. So 319 months, two weeks, four days, and 12 hours left to live. How about housework? This is a great, this, four years doing housework. Four years. Yes. And if you're like an insane cleaner, it's more. This is advertisement to get a maid. Right? 259 months, four days left. And then... If you're spending time on the internet, the average person spends about three and a half years on the internet, and it's more than that now. So 258 months, five days left. If you go to the movies, we really don't do that, but we, we spend a lot of time watching movies, right? It's about two years. And that leaves you with 232 months left to live if you make it to 80. And don't even count the 12 years that you didn't really do anything with your life. Our life is a mist. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Don't forget to live. Amen? A second thing that I've learned on this journey I call life is prayer is a guide to unfamiliar territory. Amen? There's this little instrument that I always love when I look at the movies. You know, you see the sailor and then they just flip up this thing and then they figure out which way to go. Yes, the compass, right? I, I just think it's so cool. I bought one and I forgot I was going to bring it today to show you that I was cool to have a compass, but I forgot it at home. But a compass is a device that indicates direction, right? We, most of us know how it works. You open it up, there's this magnetic um, needle that is gonna show you wherever Earth's magnetic north is. 
So any traveler, you know if you travel anywhere, you're gonna come across uh, a territory that you don't know, right? Uncharted territory. You, can get, you will get lost at some point or another. Well, this compass will help you to realize, well, this is where I am and this is where I need to go. For a believer, we have a compass. And that compass is praying and reading your Bible. That always, it settles it, it lets you know where God stands on it, and then it guides you. I love, I love, love the story of King Hezekiah. Do you guys know the story of uh, King Hezekiah? No? Oh, good. I'm going to share it with you. Um, well, it's in the book of 2 Kings, I believe 18 to 20. A wonderful story. So King Hezekiah, he's the king of, of Judah, right? His father was an evil king. What his father did was set up all these altars on every corner in Judah to, to send up sacrifices to these false gods. He had the people worshiping on these high places, which is just hills, because God says to worship in the temple, not on these high places, right? So this is what Hezekiah's father did. When Hezekiah now came and he's king, he tore all of that down. He removed all the altars. He removed all the high places. Even the Bible tells us that the serpent that we heard about with Moses that happened almost 800 years before. Remember when the Israelites were sick and, and, God, and G God said to uh, Moses, if they look on this serpent, they will be healed? Almost 800 years later, the Israelites were sending sacrifice and incense and all these things. They were worshiping this thing. Hezekiah heard about that, he got rid of it. So the Bible tells us that at this time, the Assyrians were taking over all the places. Israel was gone. So here comes Assyria, and they're talking to Hezekiah, representative. And they said, well, who's going to save you? None of the gods save all these other people that we conquered. Hezekiah is telling you about this God who's going to save you, but he's tearing down all these things. Who's going to save you? So the people are, you know, looking and saying, what is going on, right? He said to the people, he said, don't listen to Hezekiah because you are going to be eating nothing. Well, the Bible actually says you're going to be eating your waste if you listen to this man. Do you know what Hezekiah did? The Bible says that he tore his clothes, he put on his sackcloth, he sent his messenger, messengers to the, the prophet Isaiah and said, send up the prayers because we need God to answer. A message came back, so Hezekiah prayed. Now this is a man who is praying in a time where the Assyrians is conquering everything. Like Pastor Rich said a couple in the last Bible study here in America, we don't really get persecuted. We hear a few stories about uh, businesses going down, and we're like, oh my gosh, America is, is crazy. No, at that time, the Assyrians, when they come, they're killing you, they're, they're skinning you alive, they're burning you, they're taking you from your homeland and sending you all over the place because they want to disrupt your whole religion, your family, everything. This is what Hezekiah was coming up against. And you know what Hezekiah did? He prayed. The Bible tells us when it came to a time that um, the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, 
put your house in order because God says that you're going to die. The Bible tells us that what, I, what Hezekiah did was he turned his head to the wall in bitter tears. He cried out to God and he said, God, I served you. I was devoted to you. I follow your laws. I did all of these things, God. No, I don't want to die. Before Isaiah even left the palace, the word of, the word of God came to Isaiah and say, God has just added 15 years to your life. What did he do? What was his compass? What was leading him? His prayers. The Bible tells us that he, 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 he fixed up the temple. He brought out the book of the law so people could know what God says. That is the word. That became his compass. Don't live this life saying that, I don't know. I don't know where to go. He has given you a compass. He has given you something that you can stand on and know which way to go. When I was 20, I believe 22 years old, and I had Sevi, I had, that was uncharted ter territory. I didn't, you, you read what to expect when you're expecting, but when the baby comes, that was not in the book. <laughs> that was not in the book. When, when Shai was born with his condition of his hands, that was, I had no idea what to do. Do you know, I remember both of them. I remember praying. I remember praying, putting on my worship music and saying, God, you got to guide me. You got to lead me. And he has always kept me. Always kept me. Let him be your compass today. You are serving, you are praying to a God who is familiar with the unfamiliar. Yes. Yes. To you, it's strange, but to him, he's sovereign. He's in control. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. So that's one of the things, uh, the second things that I learned. You guys are still with me? Yes. Okay. All right, so let prayer, Bible reading be your guide. The third thing, this one is going to sound a little strange, but the third point is knowing God's law versus our personal law. Sounds a little strange, but I'll explain, I'll explain it to you. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt talk, talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. I like how the message Bible says it. Watch how you talk. Don't let anything dirty or foul come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. So what do I mean by God's law and personal law? This is something that really blesses my life as I learn to get better at it. So we all know God's laws, right? We know that nobody's supposed to abuse you. Nobody's supposed to steal from you. Nobody's supposed to, you know, you think of all the Ten Commandments. Those are God's laws. Nobody's supposed to violate that. But the thing is, we don't really struggle with people violating God's laws. We struggle with people violating our, 
personal laws. I learned this thing from, um, I love this book. Uh, what's his name? Dr. Chapman, The Five Love Languages. Gary, yep. So I learned this from one of his other books. Our personal laws. I'll share this, an example with you. At the end of the night, <laughs> at the end of the night, I love to have a clean kitchen. So it's after nine, make sure the little ones are in the bed, and I go and wash my sink, my sink look nice and shiny. I feel like, mm. I can't wait to wake up in the morning because when you wake up in the morning, you see a nice clean sink, it just feels so good, right? Or it's just me. So I do this thing and then I go up in my bed and I'm getting ready to sleep or read something on my phone. And then here comes your pastor. <laughs> And I hear the footsteps going down the stairs and I'm listening. And then I hear the dish touching the sink. And I'm waiting to hear the water turn on. And all I hear is footsteps walking away. And I am heated because I know I know it's the tea that I made him and I'm in the morning it's gonna be a dried tea bag in a cup that is my personal law and he violated he wasn't aware that I was a representative who presented this bill to be instituted he didn't know that and a lot of us have these personal laws set up that people violate. And then what we do is we respond to them like they violated one of God's laws. All right now. So That's a good word. So the thing with God's laws versus our personal law is even when you violate God's law, what he does is the Bible tells us he's patient, right? He's patient with us. You come and you repent. He's going to, even when he was, when God was getting ready to judge, bring his wrath on Israel, he would send prophets to say, get ready. I'm about to judge you, but you can get right, right? God would do that. That is righteous anger. The Bible says that we can be angry, but we're not supposed to sin. So what about this personal law? And, and how, how, how did it help me? Well, first, when someone violates these laws, these personal laws, these are laws that you institute, that somebody didn't do it the way you like it, or when you wanted them to do it. So when they violate that law, what I learn is, First of all, admit that you're angry. When I'm in the bed and I hear those footsteps, I'm angry. I'm not disappointed. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm angry. 
So first, accept that you're angry. Zip your mouth, ladies. We've been reading that book, right? Zip it up. Hold it. Yes, the Lord. This is something I've been working on, people. I'm sharing with you. There's progress. Zip it up. And then this is when you start to negotiate. How did I negotiate? Well, I told my, yeah. I said to my family, my kids, I said, listen, my sink is going to be clean. So if you come down after 9, 10 o'clock and the sink is clean and you have a dirty dish, you come and you see that dish, that, that sink clean, take that dirty dish back upstairs. You don't have to wash it. You don't have to wash it. Take it back upstairs and bring it down in the morning. They agree to it. That works for me. Sometimes when you try to negotiate, it doesn't work out. But then you have to accept that some people aren't built like that. But you can keep trying to negotiate. There's still times that I see the dishes in the sink. But the majority knows, once you see that dish, that's in clean, take it back upstairs, go, 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 go. That's when people violate your personal laws. Know that those are laws that you never told people about. But when you do come across those, then you say to them, listen, this is how I feel, and can we figure how to work this out? That is priceless advice for your marriage. We act like our husbands, our wives has violated God's law. And the truth is, it is selfish anger because it's just not done your way. So that's, that's one thing that I learned, amen? <clears throat> <laughs> the fourth thing I just have two more the fourth thing that I have is don't let the cares of life steal your joy you know there are many things we do and Pastor Rich likes to call it the honeymoon um, season of things you know when you get married oh it's you know it's beautiful you're holding hands this is my husband wh whatever whatever it is that they do and it just feels really good right that's the honeymoon season you have a baby that baby smells so sweet the baby's just you know sleeping and then you change and then you sleep but then after a while, they stay up longer at different hours that you don't like, right? The honeymoon season starts to wear off. You know, even for volunteers in Church City. Oh, I love Church City. There's no church like this in the world. I want to help here. Two months in, you're the best volunteer. Three months in. 
You come when you want to. You have an attitude. Some, no, church city people don't have an attitude. I can't say that. I can't say that. But you come when you want to. You don't put energy into it. You don't make it the best. It now becomes a routine. And that's what the cares of life can do to things that mean a lot to us, things that we enjoy. I'll give you a great example. Every year I have goals that I want to accomplish. One of the goals for last year was to read at least the same amount of books that I read the previous year or one. I thought that was good. So my goal was to read 36, because I read 36 the year before, Plus, plus one would be good, but at least 36. So, what's this, 2024? Yeah. So 2023, I started out the year kind of reading whatever the case is. I don't know what happened to this year. It's just like, it was January, and then it was January again. Like, I don't know what happened in between. So here I'm, I'm at December. I believe the first week of December, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go through my bullet journal to try to see, you know, what goals I'm going to try to complete or whatever. So I realized that I'm way off from my book goal. I'm 17 books away from hitting 36, and it is December. So I'm, I, I'm tight because this is supposed to be like an easy goal for me. I did it last year. So what did I do? I started Googling short Christian novels. <laughs> on yes I'm gonna I'm gonna check that you don't know what it is to check that box off I'm googling Christian novels Savannah texting me um, some stuff she doing in school which happened to be like short stories so I feel like I'm cheating because it's not you know so I'm it's amazing how YouTube have people talking about everything I mean, I listened to like four or five videos on classic books that are short and you got to read this and whatever. So I'm reading all these books. Half of the books, I don't even understand what it's saying, but I'm just like reading, reading, reading. I'm so tired of people talking in my ears because I'm always using Audible. I'm tired. I don't want to hear anything, but I just, I just want to hit that goal. Wanting to hit that goal so bad, I was traumatized. I know Pastor Rich doesn't like that word traumatized because we use it so often in this culture. But I, I'll tell you how I was traumatized. One of the books that is considered classic is a book about a man that took care of his family. He woke up in the morning, his father and mother stay at home, his sister, he take care of his family back in the days. And one day when they went and opened the door, he was a big bug. This is a classic. He was a big bug. I read this book, and I know they describe this bug. And if anybody knows me, I'm afraid of bugs, especially roaches. I didn't even hear the description that it was a roach. Until I finished the book, I saw the, 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 the page, and I saw this big roach. I literally read a book on a man turning into a big roach and the bad, it's so sad. The bad thing is that his family just let him, to, let, let him rot. They were afraid of him. There was times that he's running into them and they're like, 
He just died. So if you ever wanted to read the book, I just told you the whole thing. But that thing traumatized me. Just so that I can check it off. We live in this world that is so filled with everything you look at. Be the best this, be the best that, be the, th this is what you need to do. Books for me, since I was a child, I love it. Because I was able to experience different worlds, different cultures. I was able to be educated. It was an enjoyment for me. But this was not an enjoyment. This just became a routine. This just became a goal that I forgot about the purpose of why I even made that goal. And we can do that in life. These goals that you have, you just have these goals, but there's no purpose connected to it. But let me share this, this verse with you. Colossians uh, 3, 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever your hands find to do, do it as you're doing it unto God. If a purpose is connected to that thing, you will enjoy it. If, if the purpose is not connected to it, you won't care about it anymore. Enjoy the things that you like. Amen? Amen. Amen. The final thing, and then I'll get out your way. Final point is value what matters. Everyone say value what matters. Value what matters. <clears throat> if I were to tell you I needed you to cross this desert, and that I was going to give you a good amount of water so you can, you know, drink when you need. That water becomes very precious to you, right? Because you're looking at the terrain, you're aware that at some point, I'm going to need this water. So you're going to be careful how much you take, you're going to be careful how, how, how you screw the, the, the tap up, all of that, right? There are things in life that are precious, just like that water that we push to the side. One of those things is family. It's my family. God gave you a family for a reason. They're, they should be precious to you. Don't take them for granted. Our church community. There's so many people who would love, I mean, people that we, we have online that wish that they were here to take part in some of the things uh, that we do here. Those are important things. Treat them like they're valuable. Management of money. Sometimes we don't think about it. They ask people, well, wh what do you think you need to, um, how much money do you think you need to be um, good in America? Most people said 200 and something thousand dollars when there's people living on $10 a whole year. Your management of money should be precious. Amen? Your health. I know I struggle with this a lot because that sugar demon and the church added to it. But this is something that is precious to us. There was this study, is a study that started in 1938. They've been studying these um, about 3,000 people to, um, to see towards the end of your life, what is happiness? 
So they followed them since they were, I believe, 11 up to now 85. The biggest study. You can, you know, you can get more information on it. Because they wanted to see what is it that towards the end of your life makes people happy. And what they found was not accomplishment, not money, but social connections, your relationships. That is what makes people happy. The study even showed, and this is for the married people, that if you're married for men, you live 17 years longer. For women, I don't know why, but women is seven years longer. Not longer, seven years more. Men is 12 years <clears throat> more. The reason they said is because they studied the DNA and all these factors. They said that when you're married and you're stressed, because stress causes a lot of diseases, right? When you're married and you're stressed, when you come home, there's someone that you can talk to. It releases someone. There's somebody who has your back. Now, these are good marriages. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to go and get married. Because if your marriage is a source of stress, you're going to die. So what they found... What they found with this study is the people who had stronger social connections lived a happier life, lived a longer life, and those people who took care of their health lived longer. At the end, they asked the people, well, what are some things that you regret? Most of the people said that they regretted working so much. And what were they thankful for? What brought them happiness? It was their relationships, whether it was with their friends, whether they were a good boss, whatever it is, those social connections. And sometimes when we hear these scientific studies, we feel like, oh yeah, that's really cool. But we know that the Bible tells us about this even before the scientists figure out, okay, let's study this. Because when we look in the book of Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and it says, now all this has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandment, for that is the duty of all mankind. And we know that when the Pharisee went to Jesus to ask him, which is the greatest commandment? He said to love God and love people. Science just confirms what our Bible says. Our love for people gives us a better life, a happier life. So your family, your church community, these things will have a wonderful effect on you if you lean in. In this study, it was the intentional people who got on the phone and talked to who talked to that friend or had you know like dinner dates or whatever they were the ones at the end when they look back says i'm truly happy because of this relationship amen so these are the things that i have learned i hope 
one, two, or some of them would be a blessing to you, you can use it. And I want you to know that the beauty about the God that we serve is that he will never leave nor forsake. When we look at the beginning in Genesis, we know that God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. And after sin entered this world, the Bible tells us that that God loves us so much that he came into the world. He was with them. He came into the world. When Jesus died and took the sins of all of us on that cross, he said, I have to go so that the comforter is going to come. Then he came in us. Not only was he with us, was he among us, but now he's in us. He will never leave us. Many times we let the world tells, tell us how to live life. But God already gave you the treasure on how you can live life. Don't take it for granted. Think of it as that precious water that you're going through that desert. Use it. Amen.